0: Hello everyone, this is episode 3 of Surviving Now, a Corona Rising production. I am Andrea Powell, your host, and today we are going to be talking about what I hope is a positive conversation about how to bond with healthy habits and healthy lifestyles that are going to enable you to not only get through the pandemic and social distancing, but really perhaps give everyone an opportunity to rethink how we live our daily lives and what things sustain and fulfill us. So today's conversation is centering around the conversation of what I'm calling sober distancing. I don't know if I've made that term up or I found it somewhere, but one way or another, it really like struck me. Uh, But this is not a conversation or a show or podcast about judgment. This is about meeting people where they're at on a daily level which is what chrono rising is all about Um, today i wanted to also mention that um, this conversation has the potential to cause some triggers um and and you know this is really a, a conversation that is meant to be for your everyday person so while we are an organization that is by survivors for survivors Here at Surviving Now, we are really focused on creating a show that brings people together in a mindful and meaningful way. So again, this is Andrea Powell with Corona Rising on Surviving Now, and I am joined by Liz Kimmel, who is our director of programs at Corona Rising, and Holly Daniels, who is all kinds of amazing. I'm going to let her introduce herself, but the thing that I'm most excited about, besides the fact that I get to call her my friend, is that she has started a sober housing program uh, for women in Ohio. And I have to say as someone who also started a a safe home several years ago for survivors of trafficking, I know that her life is all kinds of beautiful and crazy right now. So I just commend Holly on that. Um, Liz, I want to give you an opportunity to just introduce yourself. So take it away.
1: I mentioned I am the program director at Corona Rising, which was just founded within the last two years, so we're very much in our infancy. Um, I come from a background of about eight years in the anti-trafficking, domestic violence, and disabilities. Um, I, I'm a survivor of trafficking myself, so at the very bottom the very foundation of my work is about providing the programming that wasn't available to me when I exited my traffic situation. Um, and then on top of it, my life is compounded by being a mom and a wife um, and as a tippy top, the cherry on top of being sober. Um, and so today I'm so excited to talk about Um, how sober living looks in my life and how I have um, made the last 22 months of sobriety last. Um, And also how I'm managing my sobriety while in quarantine with my family.
0: Excellent, thank you, Liz. Um, Holly, I'm gonna transition to you, so take it away. We wanna hear all about you.
2: Yes, ma'am, so my name is Holly Daniels. I am the owner, creator, and director of a business called Hope Point, and I also am the co-founder and community outreach director of a nonprofit that I helped co-found called Reaching for the Shining Stars. What we do is provide direct services to women that are still caught in the bondage of sex trafficking, addiction, and homelessness here in Columbus, Ohio, and then um, we also Kind of walk them through their whole journey from mm-hmm. exiting to a mm-hmm. program and now we're providing transitional housing as well um which is amazing like like andrea said it's uh crazy yet beautiful all at the same time um i myself am a sex trafficking survivor um was held captive uh in many forms not by just chains and and bondage but many forms for 17 years of my life um addiction is a uh, staple throughout that history. And, um, I have five and a half years out of the lifestyle and five and a half years sober and maneuvering through life without using drugs or alcohol as a coping mechanism has been a challenge and a journey for me because that's the only way I knew how to cope with my feelings and, um, anything that was coming up. So, um, and then the quarantine has made it rather difficult because you can't, hang out with people that have been your sober support system. Um, And Zoom meetings just aren't the same as like human contact, you know? So, and then with the women at the house, they don't know how much they've given to me. Like they keep me sober just as much as I keep them sober. So they've been a blessing in my life. There's some phenomenal women that are living in my home right now. And I couldn't ask for anything more gracious.
0: That's wonderful, Holly. Thank you for sharing that. And, and you know, I just think that building that community is, is so vital. And I, you know, we're going to be talking a little bit about social connection um, to just sort of elaborate a little bit into the conversation. I found some statistics uh, because I was feeling very googly um, last night. And so I Googled myself to a statistic that According to CNN, total alcohol sales have increased by 26.2% compared to this time a year ago. And despite wow. restaurants and bars being closed, much of that demand has shifted, of course, to online delivery such as uh, Drizzly and the sale of alcohol in Drizzly has increased by 441%. Like I, wow. I can't even like, I can't even like fathom that big of a number. Like I'm, I'm told like that blows my, blows my mind. Um, and, and just, you know, thinking about, you know, as, as a woman, as someone who uh, has experienced different forms of, of sexual assault and domestic violence, you know, being socially distant, I started to to worry about, well, what if I started to, you know, over consume wine, which is sort of the thing I like or or just, you know, I just I just wanted to make sure that I was using this time for myself, to heal, to think about things that I've been through, but also to be positive and creative. And I joined a a happy hour uh, a little while back with a group of girlfriends who I grew up around. And um, it really struck me that everybody was having wine and celebrating. And then they were like, totally weirded out that I'd made these medicinal mocktails, which I will talk about later, but like, don't try it. Don't knock it until you try it. But, but at the same time, I felt like I almost had to make the mocktail look like a, like a real alcohol drink in order to mask that I wasn't actually drinking. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, I think we need to like take the, the, the lid off, um, of this conversation and really think about what, what heals us and what brings us together. Um, Liz, you know, I, I think. There's a lot of sugar coating and a lot of memes out there right now that I know you you like to get frustrated with. Oh, and you see them, and so do I. All that like sort of like over the top positivity. When the reality is like there is a lot of good, but it's there's a lot of challenge right now. What what drove you to decide to live a sober life, um, and and what what is that like for you now?
1: that's So. Um i drank pretty steadily minus my pregnancies for about 18 years um you know initially to cope with the death of my father and to kind of pick up where he had left off with his own alcoholism um and then into my now 30s and um it wasn't it wasn't a dramatic you know life-saving thing it was very much a I can't sustain this lifestyle anymore without it becoming abnormal like without it becoming a really big problem um it was creating an issue in my marriage and so in order to prevent what i felt would be um kind of backsliding in life i felt like giving up alcohol was the best way to prevent becoming kind of what my parents had always been to me which were drug addicts and alcoholics um you know i always was trying to be different and trying to be aware of myself and my issues i'm like i felt like my parents were aware but it wasn't important enough to them you know, and they just were never able to get sober. And so I felt like I needed to get sober for myself and for my children, Um, but mainly because I wanted to not be in the position that my parents were in, which was death and eventual dementia, you know, early dementia. Um, I wanted to be around my kids and I wanted to be around for my marriage and I wanted to have a future and the only way to do that for me at that point and without a doubt was without alcohol mm-hmm. um yeah no regrets at all on that
0: I think that's that's really um it's profound and I I really appreciate both the openness with what you're sharing, but the fact that, you know, people often do think that um, having a substance bond to alcohol, that the only way that somebody leaves that situation or changes that situation is through some dramatic, you know, either like harsh reality call or, or there's some big epiphany when like, it can just be, hey, I, I want I wanna experience life differently.
1: And so I, I I think that that. at the time it felt very like non-dramatic, you know, it was just, well, I mean, it was dramatic because we were, we were having an argument and I was very dramatic within that argument, (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) you know, pouring my alcohol down the sink, looking at my husband going, I hate you. Um, But, you know, when I gave up cocaine in my teens, that was dramatic. I had overdosed. I was, I woke up, and I was just very fortunate to be alive. Um, My trafficker was, you know, in a different hotel room than I was. I was being isolated by myself as a punishment, and that actually saved my life, because I was able to run away from my trafficker at that. It was waking up, body fluids on me, you know, trafficker in the next room. I had very, a very small window to get out, and I did, and it was incredibly terrifying um that was dramatic so when I I like alcohol it felt very not dramatic in comparison right that makes sense Um,
0: yeah well I remember when you actually explained to me that you were becoming sober and and one of the thoughts I had in my mind was oh but I don't really like ever think of you as someone who, like, drinks too much? I mean, not that I'm, like, you know, stalking around in your windows checking what you're doing at night. I definitely don't do that. But, um, but it was still, you know, I was very fascinated by it, to be honest, like, in a positive way and actually started to provoke me to think about some of those things a little bit differently.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, I actually, I've gotten that reaction from a lot of people in my life who I drink with. Mm -hmm. You know, and then they were kind of like, wait, am I an alcoholic too? You know, Um, I think it was just what people weren't seeing. Drew, my husband, really saw all of it. Right. And so when he came to me and was like, hey, this is becoming a little bit of a problem. You know, it was like, "Okay, he has the insight that no other human on Earth has. Right. So because of that, I trust him implicitly. He's my husband. He's my life partner. I'm really mad at him for bringing it up. Like, how dare he? But he's not wrong. And I didn't get sober because my husband told me to. I quit drinking because my husband, my life partner, who had been with me for 11 going on 12 years, said, you know, and it took bravery on his end to come to me and be like, hey, this is posing an issue in our lives, this is posing an issue as a mother. You know, you being a mother, this is posing an issue in our marriage. And that was enough for me to be like, you know what? It's not worth keeping the substance. It's just the substance. My life is worth more than that.
0: I think that's really profound. Holly, you started a sober uh, home recently. I'd love to know a little more, like what inspired you. What are some of the challenges? Um, as I said before, starting a a home of any kind, any anything like that is, is beautiful and crazy intense. Um, and I get to kind of see some of that journey through our social media connection. But I I want to hear it from from you directly.
2: Absolutely. So, um, stepping out of a lifestyle of uh, prostitution or sex trafficking however you deem it um and drugs and alcohol addiction um is really really hard because it's unknown like if somebody's lived a certain way their whole life or this has been their life and this is the only thing they know you have to learn holistically and change holistically everything about yourself because if my coping mechanism is drugs and alcohol, and this is the way that I've been taught and the way that I've been living for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, that's your routine, that's your pattern. So stepping out, like I will watch, and I'm, I'm very active in my community. There's a, a program here called Catch Court and Amethyst. And there are just so many programs that I'm involved mm-hmm. in, in. that um, <clears throat> I, I volunteer or those are my sisters, so I'm there helping. And I watch these women, And, um, they'll, they'll get into a program, like they'll exit the lifestyle and get into a program that program might be four, six, nine months. And then I watch them step down and return to toxic environments, um, living with sugar daddies or boyfriends or family members that helped create the situation in the first place. And I watch, um, them relapse. And it's either I'm passing a bag out to them on the street on Sunday in the Mm -hmm. afternoon when we do our street outreach or um, I'm following social media and like they're just you can tell that they're they're using again and, and they're in despair or I'm scrolling on Facebook and I see an RIP post about them. So I wanted to be part of the solution and not be part of the problem because if I'm just watching this happen that I'm not really helping. Um, I know transitional housing or housing in general is one of the biggest gaps here in Columbus, probably in the nation, Um, because where do women go once they leave? How do they get out? Like, where do they get stability in some type of secure environment so they have the opportunity to work on their issues of drug and alcohol addiction, or maybe it's codependency. Maybe they have trauma from whatever it is in their life. So I have been pitching this idea of transitional housing to everybody. I know senators, state representatives, people in government, judges, so many people here in Columbus. And like, I just felt like I wasn't being heard. So I decided with a partner that we were going to purchase a house. This is my first home purchase um, ever in life. And uh, I don't live there. <laughs> so, um, Which is, which is wonderful. Like I get to, I get to, have this home that is helping women out of a toxic environment. Um, so it's a beautiful thing to sit back and watch. Like the women are just so appreciative of, of what they have. And and I wanted to be um, different than some of the other sober living homes that are here in Columbus. Um, not degrading what they do or, or uh, bashing them at all. They're just not real involved. So like they, maybe they're not, um, in recovery. Maybe they don't struggle with some of the same issues that I have, but my heart and my passion is helping my sisters. Um, I am them. So if somebody didn't guide me through, the exit process i wouldn't be doing the things that i'm doing today and what has created my stability and my success in being sober or acclimating back into society in this new life has been community and connection so i'm there on a weekly basis we have weekly house meetings that myself and my partner sit in on like we listen to them like what are your needs like what do you want from us like how can we help you and then we also like You know make some corrections of the rules like you're not doing this this is what needs to be done or this is what's going to happen next um we give plenty of opportunity because i don't think recovery is cookie cutter no program should be cookie cutter when you're dealing with addiction because it's not black and white there are gray areas there are things that um these women have been through um, and I think that an individual treatment plan is required for each and every one. And, um, we're, we're very hands-on at Hope Point. Um, when they come in, like we create, um, like three, six, nine month and year goals because it's like a temporary program. Our goal for them is long-term permanent housing of their own. And a lot of these women haven't ever had that, never paid a rent in life myself included until I moved out of the program that I was in. I had never paid rent in my life and I was 35 years old. So I didn't know how to do a lot of the things that normal people will call them and in society do. So it's Mm -hmm. teaching them skills, like getting them jobs, teaching them how to interview, teaching them how to dress for an interview, um, walking them through the process of budgeting, um, paying their bills and just all kinds of stuff that you would think come naturally. But maybe they weren't taught that, you know, from their parents. So stepping in and and helping them transition back into life. I think, you know, Holly, first of all,
0: again, thank you for what what you do and and the embodiment of hope that that you actually are. Um, I feel like naming that hope point was kind of like naming it after yourself because you just bring so much hope to so many, so many people, myself included. Uh, I was so blessed to meet you over a year ago. Uh, on our survivor retreat. But I, um, you know, I I really think there's something you said that's profound and kind of leads me to my next question with Liz. Um, If you haven't seen certain behaviors modeled, uh, people often, unless there's a very intentional and deliberate shift, we either model what we saw growing up with our parents or whomever raised us, or, or we decide to go a different direction with ourselves. But one way or another, we're still a product of, of that background. And so if you don't have a vision of, like, what does an adult life look like without substance or without, you know, say, toxic relationships. Because, you know, we talk about bonding to things that are unhealthy. We're not just talking about alcohol or drugs or cigarettes. We can be talking about relationships. We can be talking about a lot of stuff food so it's it's about like finding how do we replace things that we've bonded to to cope that are unhealthy with things that that are healthy for us i mean what i think is healthy may be different from someone else so liz um you know what are some things that you're doing to self-soothe and cope right now because i you know i know that you really have a lot on your plate as do many but but you know kids at home when you're trying to work and, and thinking about your own recoveries is a lot, and I get that.
1: Yeah, so um, I think what, like, what I try to keep in mind is grace. Grace is a huge thing that I try to have for myself, because if I don't, I'm, I would just be miserable. Um, I think that it's true that trauma recovery, as well as substance recovery, really isn't linear. Um, even if I don't drink and I haven't drank um, or used cocaine, for that matter, or smoke cigarettes, and I haven't had a cigarette in almost 15 months, I think, um, I still think about them every day. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to smoke all the time, <laughs> um, but I have to... I have to keep in mind, like, you know, how far I've made it and, and, and use the coping mechanisms that I taught myself or that I learned through my community um, on a daily basis. But during the quarantine, I think what's kept me sober is really focusing in on my art and my spirituality. Um, you know, I kind of have to be present with my family. We're in really close quarters. We live in a very small house together. Um, I have two children who are almost nine and about 10 and a half. And so they're not toddlers anymore. They're not as needy as they were as toddlers, which God help us. I can't imagine being in a house of toddlers right now, <laughs> you know, sober or not. Um, so they, they are, they're quite independent at this point in their lives, but they still need me and I'm still their mom, right? And so the way that we've coped is taking family walks, Um, My uncle and aunt actually bought me a tricycle um, with a big basket on the back. And so we started taking some family bike rides. Um, It's not pretty and the heaviest I've ever been in my life. And so, (laughs) um, you know, I don't get too far without having to stop and take a breather. Um, And then there are days that I don't do well that I'm curled up in a ball. My depression has just like really reared its ugly head. I'm in the same pajamas for three days. But at the end of the day, I still haven't taken a drink, you know? Um, so coping and, and recovery, even now during quarantine, still isn't linear. It's It's a process that is messy and uncomfortable most of the time. But every minute, Sober is worth the pain and the discomfort at the same time. Um, I actually, my son's therapist brought us a sheet um, of 99 coping mechanisms and it's written (laughs) for children, very simple, but I've often referred back to it for our whole family during this whole thing. You know, how can we all cope better? Um, And, you know, and, and. Small tools like that have been really helpful when I can't be creative myself because I have a block. Um, so it's, it's been interesting to see how sobriety has played a role throughout this whole thing. Um, but, but I would say being creative has been the biggest, biggest uh, outlet for me. Well I
0: think that's um I mean I get to I get to see a lot of your artwork online and actually I'm not gonna turn my computer around. I'm looking at some of your artwork uh that's hanging above <laughs> my 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 room. Um but you know, I think that it's it is true that we have to think about recovery as like a daily thing. Um and that there's nothing linear about it. You have good days and bad days. You might even like have good minutes and bad minutes. Um I not to be like mm-hmm overly leading the interview, but is there anything that you want to share about spoons?
1: (laughs) So So the spoon theory, (laughs) the spoon theory is actually, I I believe it was created within the lupus uh, community, people who are suffering from the disease called lupus. So they began the spoon theory idea where um, every day you wake up with a number of spoons. They have a number of spoons on the chart and I don't remember how many they were. But daily tasks eat up spoons. You know, if you have to get up and brush your teeth, that might be one spoon. If you have to go to work, that could be five spoons. If you have to be with your children, that could be five spoons. And so I myself have about five spoons that I work with. And some days I can only get up and brush my teeth and other days I can get up, brush my teeth, take care of my kids, go to work, bake a cake, and, you know, <laughs> make a piece of art all before I go to bed. For the next three days, I probably won't have any spoons left. Um, but I felt like this was just such a great opportunity to find a language that could be universal. Um, and I found it in sobriety. And it became my greatest tool in communicating to everyone around me, like how I was feeling, how I was doing from my husband and my children to you as my partner in business to some friends who I've taught the spoon theory to or, you know, sent a link about it to. Um, and it really has become one of the greatest coping mechanisms I've ever, uh, I've ever discovered. My therapist even uses it with me now. Um, so it's, it's, it's an amazing tool and I highly suggest everybody adopt it into their lives.
0: Okay. I, yeah, I I love it. Actually. I've actually started thinking about it myself. Initially I was like stressed out because I couldn't figure out how many spoons I would start with. And I realized that clearly I was using spoons in order to figure out the spoon theory, and I needed to, like, stop. It shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah, I was like, okay, I'm getting into some kind of, like, meta spoon problem over here, so I'm going to let it go. <laughs> the, like, inception um, problem. Yeah, I was like, this is getting circular. Um, so, Holly, uh, there's something that you said, and I, you know, that I just really think is important around social connection. And how you build that, how you sustain it, how has your support, how has your support network uh, supported you and looked like for you, and how has that shifted to to creating that social support at Hope Point? And and you can totally get real with me because I have managed uh, a safe home, and uh, <laughs> um, I know sometimes you can have very very intense conversations about somebody's toothbrush being missing. So, um, uh, because it's not about the toothbrush, it's about balance of power, and so, like I've learned over the years, like the conversations you have in a safe home can be you know seemingly very small but actually very, very meaningful as you're rebuilding very your large, sense yes.
2: yeah, your sense of connection so so take it from here, Holly. So for myself, um, connection is what what has created the solid foundation beneath my feet in order to not pick up drugs and alcohol or even return to my old life and old behaviors. Um, Because again, I didn't know how to function normally in society. I had spent 21, 22 years in active drug addiction. Like it's been generational for my family. Like I'm, I'm a cycle breaker. I'm the first person in my family to get out of poverty, to go to college, to get higher education, even like get any type of higher education. Like nobody has like a high school diploma in my family. Um, I'm the first person to get sober, to get clean, to break the cycle of uh, trafficking in my family. Like it's been all of it's been generational for my family. So, um, that's a heavy burden to bear, but, like, somebody had to show me how to live life, and these women, like, I went through AA and Amethyst and some different programs, and, like, they just surrounded me and, like, showed me how to be a woman, showed me how to be a person, showed me, like, what steps to take and and how to to think and how to act because I didn't know. So, um, like, I remember... Not, I'm like, I had never really done anything in life. And like, we just went to go like play pool somewhere or like going to karaoke or traveling for the first time or going kayaking, just so many different things that like I've experienced in my new life in the past, I would say four years. Like, and and I like have done it with the women in Alcoholics Anonymous because again, I didn't know how, to do anything. I didn't even know what I liked. I'm like, I get to learn and like they're showing me how to live life sober and how to function and how to cope with like feelings. Cause like a lot of times we would mask our feelings with drugs and alcohol. So we didn't have to feel. Um, and that hope point, um, again, that's, it's a connection. Um, I don't want them to feel like I'm somebody that's like, I don't want them to feel as if like I'm the director of the program that they're living in and like their housing is in jeopardy or they're in trouble or, or a consequence for their actions is a punishment because it's not a punishment, you're not in trouble. Um, we're just trying to correct certain thoughts and behavior patterns that you've established over the years. And um, I think um, it's the connection that I create. I don't treat them as a tenant or a participant of a program. I treat them as my sister. Um, I I want them to be able to feel like they have an open door to come be honest with me about anything that's happening. And so far it's working Um, again not without bumps in the road, um, sure. milk cream pies have been, a, have been a hefty, hefty conversation in our house. <laughs> like uh, just simple things, like things that you wouldn't think would be a big deal, but they really are because like lying and stealing, um, are just have no purpose or place in our new life. Like it's just not, even the smallest lie just doesn't serve a purpose today. Um, but then there's like big conversations about, um, things like being honest with your medical providers because they don't know your history. That's a big one that, that we struggle with. And, um, they can still offer because a lot of the drug companies are drug pushers just legally. We'll talk about that in another conversation. However, like these drug companies promote their products through the doctor's offices and Mm -hmm. the doctors prescribe it to us. You have to be able to make good choices and what you put in your body because, if you're in recovery, we're not normal. I mean, some people can smoke marijuana. Some people can drink and have a few drinks and walk away from it and not disrupt their life. If you identify as an addict or an alcoholic, we're just not normal like that. Like it just doesn't, we don't, for myself, I I can't do that. Like I can't have one drink because it just spirals out of control and it's a disruption to my life and I can't function properly anymore. So like you have to be able to make a good choice and be honest with your medical providers about your history so that they don't offer you these types of drugs. So that's been a big conversation in our house because a few of the ladies were offered and one of them fell because of that. But we pick ourselves up and we look at it as a learning experience and we move forward. So again, those connections and the ability for them to approach me, not as their director, but as their sister I
0: think, you know, you just said something, Holly, that I'm going to reiterate it because I just think it's so important. Everybody's body is different. Everybody's mind and connection to our body is different. And it's true that even though there are amazing medical professionals out there, it -hmm. is a real issue that, that oftentimes, particularly women's bodies, are all treated the same. And and there are these drugs that are being tested and, and pushed out through through people we trust in the doctor's office. And so it's it's both about being honest with yourself about what you do and don't need and what does and doesn't work. You know, some people talk therapy is what they need. They need cognitive behavioral therapy to guide mm-hmm. them through the healing process. Other people need more body-based work, somatic hearing, and EMDR. I mean, there's many strategies. Some people, like myself, have an addiction to self-help podcasts. Um, but you know, everybody has their thing and everybody's human body is different. So I I love that you are looking at each woman who's living in the home, your first home that you bought and don't live in, um, as, as an individual multifaceted with like all the good, bad and ugly. Um, and that kind of transitions me to you, Liz, um, you know what role does stigma and judgment play in how women, in particular—I mean, anyone—but particularly women, um, as they decide to share their sobriety journey? Because I think you know that's that's a really been a really big part of what you've done that I think has helped so many people. Um, and I, you know, I'm curious to know how you feel about like that destigmatizing and, and what judgment does in that space. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I feel like telling people that I was sober was not difficult. Defending my sobriety became an incredibly difficult thing that I had no idea would ever be a thing. I never realized that I would feel insecure about being sober. I never realized that I would be... um, I would be questioned if it was really necessary for me to be sober. Like it just, it never occurred to me that those were things. Um, I think the hardest thing is knowing that I have to ask for a special space in people's lives where alcohol isn't permitted. Um, you know, I can't, I can't join people at the bar, you know, for their happy hour and drink a soda it's just not something that um is healthy for me um and so my friends who continue to drink and I support that decision in them um you know it can be a little triggering sometimes to be on Facebook and see like oh mommy needs a drink because she's been home with her kids all day and it's like ah I know I used to be like that because it's in my Facebook memories um (laughs) <laughs> you know, actually every year um, minus the times that I was pregnant, I'm seeing a lot of like in my Facebook memories, I'm seeing a lot of like, Oh, I can't wait to drink wine after I clean the house today, or I'm sitting by the pool with the beer. You know, it was like so pervasive in my life and it was, nobody ever said anything. Nobody ever um, pointed it out. And a part of me is thankful for that because that would have felt like judgment and condescending, But another part of me is like, man, how did nobody see that it was a problem? Like, it was so pervasive that it was part of my, like, everyday Facebook posting. That's how much I was drinking. Um, I certainly wasn't drinking for Facebook. Like, I was drinking way more than I did on Facebook, you know? And so, um, it's just, it's interesting to me. Um, but yeah, I think seeing like the mommy wine hours right now have been really interesting. Um, fortunately, one of the things that I was able to do and utilize for coping mechanism was I was able to find inspirational people on like Instagram um, when I got sober, you know, moms who are also in sobriety, people who share my spirituality that are in sobriety, my recovery group you know, I have a home group and then I'm friends with them on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I follow, you know, like smart recovery on Instagram and Facebook. So as much as I'm getting bombed by my mom friends who are still having mommy wine hour, I'm also getting bombed with my recovery community who are constantly posting inspirational things or, or real things that I can relate to in recovery. Um, And so using social media to my benefit has been a really great coping mechanism throughout the quarantine to help kind of counterbalance what I'm getting triggered by, by seeing, you know, mommy wine hour and things like that.
0: I think that's really, um, I I love those resources. And we're going to be sharing some of those resources for listeners um, on our YouTube channel and our website as well. Um, Smart recovery is one that I've been fascinated by since you first started speaking about it. Uh, There's another one that's uh, seek healing, um, and they have some really interesting resources. And actually, they were the ones who got me thinking about substance abuse as substance bonding. Because words matter, Mm -hmm. Um, and that really that kind of like blew my mind. Um, I have a, a more of a history of, I would say bonding to toxic relationships so i can you know Liz, you know me i can be like super stubborn um about that kind of stuff and so finding i had to find my own kind of like smart recovery through you know like mark grove's podcast or love happiness and healing or love link or like finding all these okay. ways so so everyone has to build that community um i we're getting close to the end of our time um but i wanted to ask you holly if there's any other resources that you can think of for someone who's thinking about entering into a sober lifestyle be that someone who's a survivor of trafficking or intimate partner violence or just you know a little granny smith um who's 60 years old and thinking you know today's the day i might i might change my life um what would be some some initial steps that you would you would suggest
2: first and foremost i would tell them to check out any 12-step fellowship that they might want to associate themselves with, whether that be narcotics anonymous, alcoholics anonymous, Marijuana anonymous, heroin anonymous, cocaine anonymous. There are tons of them out there that are available for any drug or, or substance that you may or may not have been using. I would um, look up a local one that's available um, and convenient for you to go into. Walk in there. I know it's, it's scary and overwhelming because like you don't know anybody. You don't know, if you even fit in, like your story, but just sit back and listen to some of the things that they may have to say, and you might be able to relate. They may give you some advice on what steps to take next, and they can guide you through the process. It'll be completely up to you and your own self-determination to identify as an alcoholic or an addict. Um, And uh, if you're willing to make a change in your life or you feel like it's time to make a change, um, those 12-step fellowships will walk you through the 12 steps of alcoholic Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous in order to make that change. Um, if you know somebody who's already in recovery, maybe sit down and have a conversation with them that could be more intimate and personal um, just to see if you're even able to identify those feelings as um, an alcoholic or an, or an addict. Because Maybe you're just thinking, maybe you are, maybe you're not. I don't know. That's completely up to you to determine. So, those would be my suggestions finding somebody that's already in recovery and sitting down and have a conversation with them or 12 step fellowship.
0: I think that's really helpful. Um, and, you know, I, I think I, I wanted to kind of, you know, lead us to a close here and saying, you know, once again, recovery is not linear as Liz pointed out you have to have a good social network as Holly as you said and and really a sense of sisterhood and and that doesn't mean that we can't have guys (laughs) in a sisterhood as well in, in their own way I know many amazing men who are also leading sober lives some for over 20 years and and um and I think that that you know just as women have the mommy wine hour um or the girls night out guys still have the bros will be bros and like Having a drink, smoking at the grill, and like all that stuff. I mean, I grew up in a small Texas town, so bubble culture is alive and well. Um, but I think that uh, you know we're we're starting to shift the envelope, and and um, you know here at Corona Rising, we're all about non judgment and we're about creating spaces for innovation and change. Uh, so I would be remiss if not to plug that if people want to learn more about Corona Rising, about being a survivor get connected to our resources you can go to our website at coronarising.com or if you want to see where the real action's at go to our Facebook at coronarising our Instagram uh, which is we are coronarising we're not that much into Twitter we just you know can't be bothered but um but the rest of it we're alive and well and um you know Holly I want to make sure that people know if they want to support Hope Point where do, how do they do that how can they do that
2: so you can, um, well, we don't have our website up for Hope point It's relatively new, but through reaching for the Shining Stars, you okay. can go to the Shining Stars with a Z at um, shiningstars.org. Sorry, okay. with a Z. I will make sure That's the website's up. Yeah. Awesome. Okay.
0: So I want to close then by letting everyone know we're appreciative of you for joining in. We want to hear from you. We are open to questions. We're open to even other show ideas. I can't promise that I will do everything uh, that, that you bring as an idea because some of it might be out of, out of bounds of what we want to do. But here at Surviving Now, our goal is to bring survivors together to speak to issues that we're all facing as a society today. So thank you, listeners and viewers. Thank you to our lovely guests and to everyone who's surviving and thriving daily out there in the world. This is Andrea Powell. With Surviving Now at Corona Rising, have a blessed day. Bye.